Hello, so, everybody. To our Oops, sorry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bible Ask Live. And we're so excited to have you on. And especially those of you who are tuning in, happy Fourth of July in America. We uh, know you have many options, perhaps, and maybe traveling. We pray for safe journeys, and we are so excited today to hit up some really interesting questions. And Tina, if you're back, uh, let's know. Sorry about that. Having a little technical issues today, but God is good. It's all all good. So thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Jane, Wendy, for introducing. Yes, this is Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our weekly show. And I'm Tina with my friends, Jane, Wendy. Thanks again, guys. How are you doing today, by the way? We are good. We are good. Looking forward to a long weekend. Yes. Amen to that. Amen. And so we want to welcome everybody. If you are new here, we want to welcome you and uh, just let you know that this is a, a live show. So if you have questions or comments that you'd like to share with us on the fly, we always love interacting with our audience. Be sure to put them down in the comment section below. I already see a good morning from one of our friends out there, um, which is great. Good morning to you. My brother, Sean, yes. I believe he is Maria, which is why he's morning and why we're in... Um, Oh, and he said something else. Happy Independence Day for my American friends. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. We appreciate that. And we are so blessed to be able to um, interact with you, our audience out there. And if, like we said, if you have any comments or questions you'd like for us to chat with you or answer on the fly, we love interacting with you guys all out there. It is such a blessing to be part of a great family of um People who are just, you know, curious about the Bible and want to find answers based on God's truth. So we just appreciate all you guys for joining us out there. And we want to um, also just let everybody know, you know, no matter what platform you're on, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, etc., cetera, uh, we, um, whatever platform, be sure to put your comments and questions in this section below. And we would love to interact with you. So before we get started, though, because I know we have a few questions, uh, Jay or Wendy, will you start us with a word of prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for this Sabbath day that is upon us here shortly. And we thank you for bringing us through this week. We thank you for your love and your provision and your mercies, your grace, and the higher purpose that you create us for and call us to. And we pray that you will be with us as we answer these questions today. We ask that you will be with each of our viewers as well. <clears throat> and Help us all to draw near to you, to know your love more in our lives and your character as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much. All right, Wendy, what's our first question we have? Let's get that question up. So Roland is asking, what is the significance of the head and body movements by the Jews when praying at the, re at the remaining wall of the ancient Roman fortress? Jay, are you going to take that one? Oh, I thought you were going to have that one, but uh, I did actually research it a little bit. So if uh, you're not ready, actually, yeah, go for it. <laughs> okay. So um, the answer is in part. So when it comes to the temple, like the Jewish temple, that retaining wall is the last part of the structure that's remaining. You remember that Jesus prophesied that there wouldn't be a stone left of the temple. And that is correct. There's not one stone remaining of the temple itself. But 
there is this part of a retaining wall. So this part that sort of, you know, holds up a side of a, 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 like a bank and, and little hillside. So there's this retaining wall. And historically, there, uh, there's another reason why the Jews tend to go there, which is uh, the Muslims on there is one of the most holy sites where there is a mosque built there. Uh, very early on in Islam, they believe that Muhammad had a vision, was taken up high up into heaven and, and had a conversation with God there. And so they claim the top part, and there's sort of been between conflict and arrangement, a lot of history there. Jews basically have access to the retaining wall. Now, why do they pray there? It appears that it, I think it's largely going to be, especially the Hasidic Jews, my understanding is. So some of these very conservative Jews, uh, certain rabbis have suggested praying there because the belief is, uh, you know, while no place is necessarily holy, it's a, that's a little bit closer to where more light has been shown. So it just helps them get feel like they get a little bit closer to God. I'm not doing a great job of explaining it, but it's not a biblical reason. It's more like some rabbis have suggested that they go pray there. And then that's there's that sentimental value that this is the closest thing to what they have left of the the great temple. So that those are the main reasons. Do you know what the, the head and body movements have to do with it? And then with the head and body movements, that... That I I am not familiar with. Yeah. Uh, I understand. Okay. Yeah. So, I I know for them that there have been I think long traditions of how to pray, like the taking the wave sheaf and then you wave it, and sometimes I, I think the prayers look some familiar to that. But I'm speaking out of complete ignorance, and I'm curious to know that as well. So. If you do know a Jewish friend or if you are Jewish and, and can explain that, please chime in in the chats and, and educate us. And I think, uh, Tina, unless you have other thoughts, we can uh, go on to the next question. Uh, no, I know. I've always wondered the same thing, to be honest, because I've, I've seen that, too, where I've seen um, our Jewish friends, you know, at like the, the wall and they're praying and, you know, they're they're moving their head back and forth. And, yeah, I, I, I really don't know the history behind that. But I and I apologize. <laughs> I was unprepared for this one because I thought I got to mix up again. So anyways, but, yeah, I think that's definitely something we want to ask one of our Jewish friends about if we ever get the chance. All right, shall we get our next question up? So Joe, Joe is asking, hello, friends. I have two simple but fundamental questions. What is the Bible? Why should we read the Bible? Keep up the good work. Blessings, Joe G. So these are definitely very fundamental questions. And I think a lot of Christians jump the gun at times when we're trying to minister to people and we'll try to quote the Bible and see, look what the Bible says about itself and, and, and or says about this. Therefore, it's true. Well, that's not going to work for somebody if they don't even reach the fundamental decision of accepting that the Bible is special, that there is something sacred, that maybe it's the word of God. So it really does really begin with first, what do we believe about the Bible? And then we could start making decisions, decisions about what do we believe about the God of the Bible. So what is the Bible? Uh, 
I think this is not a verse that most people normally think of directly about talking about the Bible, but I think it's going to illustrate. It's also kind of the same metaphor works for how the Bible is. And this is John 1, verse 14. And it reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word, a lot of people have come to realize and understand that the word here isn't talking about uh, literally necessarily the the Bible. It's talking about especially Jesus. It's interesting, though, this word used there for word is logos in the Greek. And the Stoics, the, the Greeks of the Stoic tradition, believe that there was this logos, this organizing force that helped shape the, the universe and bring order into it. And it's a very apt metaphor for the God who takes the disorderly world at the beginning, brings order to it, separates lights and darkness, separates waters from waters and and land from waters. So it, this concept of logos, like it's embodied in Jesus and and embodied in god who the divine that then also became flesh became human and dwelt among us and just as sort of there's this mystery then of how god could become human and and dwell among us there's this mystery in the sense of how does god work with humans in a way that creates then this book this this bible over many 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 centuries and it's this amazing amalgamation, this combination of, of God and man. It's, this, it's a group project where God is working with men. And so you have God that's contributing and God is inspiring it and God speaking through it and guiding it and preserving it through the centuries. And meanwhile, you have each independent author also contributing their personality, their experiences, their their unique way of speaking. And so we really have this really diverse book, and yet it's so consistent also across the centuries and across all the writers. So it's humanity, it's God, it's, it's both speaking and testifying about God. And, and as it was written about Jesus being full of grace and truth, so the Bible is full of grace and truth. And if we go to Peter, this this is New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Knowing this, that first there is no prophecy of Scripture, sorry, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And this is here, especially speaking of prophecy, but that word where it says they're moved by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is kind of this idea where we get inspiration. And from a biblical point of view, it's almost like God is providing the breath by which they speak. It's kind of this concept. And so God is inspiring it. They're writing. And it's, it's sometimes they're going word for word. They have a vision of word for word saying and recording what God spoke. But then often at times we see God leading him and they're using their own words and they're writing the way they would write and God's working with that. So the, this is important because there's some people who want to say like God wrote every single word of the Bible. 
Whereas uh, the biblical description of how things worked is again, that God was sort of inspiring the process. And then you have a certain level where the, the biblical writers also contributed their thoughts and their, their beliefs, their ex unique way of expressing. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make here. Uh, then Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I bring this up because I, I truly believe from my own experience, even reading the Bible, that it really does feel like a living book. Now, that doesn't mean the book itself is alive, but rather, as we just heard, the book was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And to really get the most out of the book, out of the book you need the Holy Spirit to interpret and help you decrypt it. So it's sort of like uh, this concept of encryption and decryption. So the Holy Spirit, in a sense, uh, guided the process. And there's a certain level of truth that's encrypted in the Bible. It's not supposed to necessarily be extremely difficult. If we were meditating and reflecting on the Bible day in and day out, things really continue to unpack and unpack and unpack. Uh, and so we need the Holy Spirit. We need to approach reading the Bible with humbleness and then it and and praying to God, please reveal this to me or, or grappling with an issue and then coming to God for it. And that's when it really starts opening up. And there's plenty of what's called stumbling stones by which someone who comes in very proud, who wants to disprove the Bible, they'll find things that they think, well, uh-huh, this shows this is this is dumb, this is made up, or whatever, and they get tripped up. And uh, Whereas if you come in with the humbleness of heart and really let God guide, all of a sudden you realize, oh, wait, these two things that supposedly contradict, they're absolutely not contradicting. They, they now make sense when you get the bigger, more divine picture. You can just see this time and time again. Uh, so those who really want to seek wisdom will grapple with it and work through the tensions at times. And then through that tension, get a, an even greater truth. So now why read the Bible? Why should we read it? So number one, it really does. Uh, I believe and the Bible says that you will gain life through it. So Matthew 4, 4, it says, uh, speaking of Jesus, he said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And in part, this is also saying that we should be depending on the promises of God. And the Bible itself is just is containing promise after promise after promise. And when you claim those promises, when you say, God, you promised this, so therefore I'm going to depend on this, and, and I'm counting on you, that's truly the 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 life of faith that God wants us to live by. And, and amazing things now start to happen when we depend on these promises. And then we see John 6, 63, it says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing, but the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So again, we're seeing this concept of, of, of life being associated with the word, and also the spirit. So the spirit and life. And, and the Bible teaches really that the spirit is this animating force, this uh, the way by which God brings life into, into things. So by partaking of the word that was inspired by the spirit, 
we are in a sense ingesting the spirit also and with that comes life and sometimes it just you know through sort of ingesting the spirit itself for lack of better terminology but also because we are now speaking thinking of spiritual things. We are aligning with God's will. We are doing things that are wiser and better will lead to happier outcomes, better outcomes, better health. So also we get life in that sense as well. Then we come to uh, this really useful scripture in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. And this one sort of covers a bunch of general usages of scripture. And Paul writes here, he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, re for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So I see here it's you know, we could use the scriptures then to develop doctrines. We can use it to uh, correct people, which we should always do in love. The Bible is very clear on that too. Uh, reproof for instructing in righteousness. I love that. Instruction in righteousness. We could learn a lot from other books, but righteousness is found in the Bible. It shows us how a righteous life looks like. And then, you know, equipped us for every good work. We we have no idea what love is if it wasn't for the Bible. We would have such corrupted view of it. And then we have uh, the ability to discern even truth thanks to the Bible. Uh, I, I don't think there's ever been an age in society where there's just so many competing doctrines and viewpoints. And, and at times we just have to say, like, I give up. How can I know what truth is? I'll just wait for something else to come by and help me out of this attempt to figure out what's true or not. In Isaiah 8.20, it says, to the law and the testimony, which is a fancy way of basically referring to scripture, says, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So if there's anything spoken and said that's in inconsistent with biblical truth, you can have confidence then that it is likely false. But if it aligns with, it's consistent with, and backed up with what the Bible says, you can then hang your hat on that being true. And we see, for example, Ephesians 4, 13 to 15, it says, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth and love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. So here Paul using that analogy of, you know, we could be just tossed here and there by all these different winds, but it's the Bible that in, in biblical truth that anchors us into truth. And I have to say again, like we we've been so grateful ourselves when we've seen all the craziness in the world that we can discern and end up even being right. We said, well, that can't be true because Bible says this. And sure enough, time goes by and exactly as the Bible predicted or or would have led us to believe that false teaching will be revealed as false. I was just thinking about this today and just how 
how much how many crazy ideas are out in the world today and how how many things are calling our attention and trying to point us in different directions and what a relief it has been to know God's character and you know to see the the character of Christ and the way Christ operated with people the way he treated people and handled different situations and that you know when when we look at, at something going on in the world and we examine it relative to the character of Christ and use that as our kind of our guidepost of is this truth or not does does Jesus is this how Jesus would mm-hmm. handle this situation is is this what he would be teaching or is it contrary to that wow it just cuts out so much distraction and all garbage. The noise. yeah all the noise just you can just ignore it all because it's just like you fixate on jesus and how he would handle things and it just it brings so much more peace to life to know that that, that it is a clear easy path with well easy may not be the easy the best word but it's a clear path and it's and it's straightforward it is not confusing like the rest of the world is amen good Mm -hmm. point and another reason for the word by the way is 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 cleansing us so just related as there's a lot of filth and and bad beliefs and uh bad practices way bad ways of doing things the bible has a cleansing effect and and also a sense that the spirit helps cleanse us so the more spirit we get the more cleansed we will be uh and, you know, if we are continuing with it, you could also backtrack. But if we stay with the Bible, stay with the spirit, then we're going to be becoming more and more cleansed. John 5, 3, it says, you are clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then Ephesians 5, 26, talking about Jesus's work with the church, he says he might sanctify and cleanse her, God, his congregation, his people with the washing of water by the word. And a big point of the Bible, and it's almost cliche at times, is that it's really about God trying to establish a relationship with us. You know, people use analogies like God's love letters to us. And that actually is probably a very good way of describing the Bible. God really showing how he tried to have a relationship with Adam and Eve, and then they betrayed him. And then he still provides a way to restore the relationship and bring reconciliation ultimately promising that, you know, Christ would come and then Christ indeed did come and even even allowed himself to be killed so that he could show his love for us and overcome Satan and uh, reclaim ownership of the world in a sense and the right to forgive us, the right to give us life. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just showing us what, again, it really means to love, truly love people and, and, Put their interest before your interests. It's beyond normal, natural, earthly wisdom. There's nothing like it. And to me, that is just all the more evidence of how the Bible truly is God's word, because it's unlike anything that we would ever come up with on our own. And first John, so first John 2 5, it says, But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So the more we get to know God, the more his love is in us and the more we are going to be aligned with him and able to show his love to other people. Now, another important 
I'm not even touching the surface on all the different things that the Bible has and why we should do it. But another important one is revelation. So revelation of like God revealing his plans, what he intends to do. God doesn't want us to be in the dark. And there's this amazing verse, Amos 3, 7 to 8. And it says, surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared who, roared, who will fear? The Lord God has spoken, but who can prophesy? So God, God is this amazing person who is so transparent. He says, heads up, everybody, this is what I'm going to do, and doesn't want us to be caught off guard. Uh, John 17, verse 3, also it says, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So here also the Bible is a revelation of God and his character, as we mentioned, kind of these love letters so showing us who he is. And, and that's how Jesus is ultimately the embodiment of the Bible. Like he's the one who has spoken most of the, the Bible or, or, or kind of that voice that the Holy Spirit was communicating to the, the prophets. And Jesus is the chief spokesperson for God. And then the, so much so that he even became us and dwelt with us so that God shows, hey, I'm with you. I'm not cut off from you. I'm not separated from you. I'm trying to bridge the gap to you. And thus the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's an amazing story. There's so many hidden truths and there's something for everybody. If you want to learn how to be a better business person, there's great business truths in the Bible. If you want to learn about healing, there's much that could be learned in there. Do you want to uh, be the best lawyer, right? There, there's so much about law and, and what good law and good governance looks like and good leadership and bad leadership. There's something for everybody in there. And ultimately there is God waiting in there, extending his arms to us, welcoming us to a amazing, fulfilling, satisfying relationship with him that ultimately leads to life. So, Wendy, Tina, anything else you'd like to add about the Bible and what is it and why should we read it? Honestly, I think you summed it up really well. And I think, yeah, because I mean, whenever I talk about the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible is Jesus. And you, when you read it, you find a savior who loves you and a God who cares. And um, it's just it, like you're saying, it's a supernatural book, 100%. So um, yeah, no, I, your answer is spot on. But, but I can't reiterate that enough is that in it, you don't just find awesome stories and, and interesting ideas, you find a a God, you find a person that you can connect with and who'll speak to you in a different way than anybody else in this universe can. And it's, it's something mm -hmm. that you can only understand as you experience. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely recommend, you know, prayerfully spending time in God's word and his Bible, because there you will find something that you've never found before. So. Amen. Amen. And always will continue to find something you haven't found before. That's just incredible. <laughs> Amen God. to that. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. So I see we got some questions that have been coming in also. Uh, do you want to? Yeah, I can take one? John's if that's okay. Yeah. All right. Let's get John's question up. And Sean is asking, can you please explain the key differences among four gospels? 
So I love this question and um, I'll keep it really brief because honestly, you could go really, really deep with this. But I remember when back when I was in college and I was taking a theology class and we were talking about the four gospels and the way I described it um, was like, because they are very, four very different perspectives. Um, and the way I kind of described it in my essay was that it's like, um, you know, kind of like why, why would God have four gospels about basically the same story, which is Jesus. And what I kind of said was like, if you saw a car accident, if there was a car accident in an intersection uh, and somebody was standing on each of the four corners, they ha all have a very different perspective of the exact same event. And so, but my only thought was that, you know, John almost wasn't paying as much attention to the accident, but was kind of looking out into the distance. And so um, kind of seeing, you know, what was leading up to as well as, you know, what would follow the events of this accident. Um, so although obviously the coming of Christ is much better than a, a car accident, it was a good thing, not, not something tragic. So when it comes to the four gospels though, um, when you look at you know, each of the perspectives and you look at first, you know, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Matthew uh, was written basically with the idea, or what we understand is there's a lot of uh, Old Testament um, theology in there. And there's a lot of um, uh, prophecies, messianic prophecies about Jesus that are pointed out. Matthew really seemed to be speaking to the Jews at that time. He was, um, you know, bringing out like, you know, when, when Christ was on the cross and he, you know, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, Matthew 27, 46, you know, he's actually pointing back to the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 22, where um, it's, you know, a, a prophecy about Jesus. And so um, there's a lot of those kinds of things in the book of Matthew. So basically it looks like um, the book of Matthew kind of points back or, or is written in a way tailored to um, the way a Jewish person would understand, you know, it starts with, you know, the line lineage, you know, who begat so-and-so which would be very important to a Jew, they would understand that he would need to be of the line of David. And so um, anywho, that's kind of the summary of the book of Matthew. Um, the next book is Mark. And this is kind of interesting because Mark is actually the shortest of the gospels. It's almost kind of a bullet point of events. So it's just kind of like very historical. And so um, just kind of that personality of somebody who just kind of got all the facts. And so if you just want to know a lot of facts about what happened, uh, the book of Mark is actually a really great resource for that as far as the events of just the life of Christ, um, just kind of what happened in you know the coming um, and events in, in, in Jesus's life. Now, when it goes to the book of Luke, it's a little bit different because Luke is actually written by Luke, who is, we, we believe is a physician. And he was actually, um, according to his historical um, research, he wasn't a Jew himself. He may have been the only non-Hebrew who wrote any of the New Testament. And so um, the book of Luke was written more with the idea of kind of a non-Jew um, in mind. It was written in a way that somebody who, you know, who was of Jewish descent or as well as not of Jewish, Jewish descent at that time might understand a little bit better. And so, um, yes, it does, you know, have some of the lineage of Christ in there as well, but it points back to, you know, back to the beginning is what I understand from, from basing this from memory. And so, uh, but the book of Luke, again, it's, you know, uh, written in a way where it's kind of more tailored to uh, the non-Jew. And then there's the book of John and John has his own take on this. And it's more 
than anything, I feel like John is just trying to express God's character in this and convince you of the love of Jesus and really get you to get to know Jesus as a person, not just the events of what happened, but get to know Jesus for who he really is and just him as a loving God and him as, first of all, the creator. That's how the the book begins. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then you go down to verse 14, you realize that this word is none else than Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so Again, the book of John seems to be pointing you to the fact that Jesus is your creator and he's your redeemer and you need to get to know him because he's a God who loves you. And so it's almost like John was last in the four gospels to kind of be the one to be like, all right, now that you've seen the facts, you know, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, you you know him, you've gotten to know the stories, but now know him as your God, your creator, your savior. And so that would be kind of the as fast as I could summarize, um, you know, the, the four gospels. Jay or Wendy, any other thoughts on that? Uh, well, that's very good. Uh, so yeah, maybe quick recap. So Matthew is sort of the Jewish perspective and it's emphasizing the, uh, Jesus's lineage as, as fulfilling the, the messianic prophecies and, uh, mm -hmm. line of David. Mark is sort of like Jesus is just so efficient, powerful, and uh, supposedly people say this really catering to the Gentile and like the Romans would have eaten that up. Mm. And then mm. Luke was about the humanity of Christ and and to try and alleviate suffering and, and help the poor, condemning the rich uh, in a sense. And then we come to... John, who just so clearly is emphasizing the divinity of Christ. So, and then I think there's one of the things that's interesting of Catholicism is just the symbols they have, where they look at how in Revelation you had the, you see the lion, the, you see the lion, like an ox, you see a, a uh, eagle, and, and a man. Yeah. These, like the seraphim or the four creatures are described with these characteristics. And, uh, the Catholic Church, uh, church I know more so than probably any other church, says, you know, this is emphasizing the four Gospels and, and covered these different mm. traits where the lion is the kingship of, of Christ, the um, ox, sort of his strength and power, like we find in Mark, and then his humanity brought out in Luke, and then the eagle representing Christ's divinity. So, yeah, it's interesting. interesting. So, great question, Sean. Yeah. All right. For our next question, are we going back to the list or are we ask just in Gospel of John? Uh, we could do uh, Gospel. Direct... Oh, I'm sorry. I'll... Do you want to do the list? And then, uh, Jay, do you want to do the, yeah, the Gospel of John after? Is that okay? Uh, it just then we might have some more double backing of, of answers. Oh, but that's okay, okay. Then that's fine. Whatever you want to do. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, it might make sense to do John, Gospel John's next. And then we'll do Tina's uh, question after that. Okay. All right. So let's bring up Gospel John's question. So he's asking, how do we deal with the anti-Trinity movement that seems to be causing confusion in the church? And this is a great question. I know a lot of people are dealing with this. And Tina, you might have a very different perspective than me on, on this. So feel free to disagree. Uh, but my big question is kind of the same question. Michael Heiser actually asked to a lot of things like this, which is, why should I care? Why does it matter? Uh, 
so first off, what are we talking about when we say anti-Trinitarian? Sometimes people might mean that's challenging the divinity of Christ, in which case, yeah, I would have a big problem with that. And we would need to make sure that we um, probably help someone understand his divinity. And, and I think a helpful thing is helping people understand that the Jewish concept of their being to Yahweh's. The, even the Jews during Jesus's time had this as a doctrine that there looked like there was actually two Yahweh's. They recognized that from looking at the Old Testament and seeing Jesus actually is not someone who just shows up in the New Testament, but he was there from the beginning, even in Genesis, and, and he was with Moses and Exodus and through on down. So if we're able to open people's idea, uh, eyes to this, I think that helps to show Jesus's divinity. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, this is something where I, I think it's just going to be lose-lose because there, you know, you can say arguably there's good arguments on both sides. And, and, and so I'm not going to make anybody happy with this answer. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit is so beyond our comprehension and our knowledge. And we're said, we're given so little information about the Holy Spirit. We understand its function, but we don't know, or, or he, you, you. and it's just like when, when the Bible uses father to describe the father or what, who we call the father it doesn't mean he's necessarily male as we are male and that he's able to do things that human males might do and and it's just a, a term that helps us understand his role and 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 what sort of relationship we should have with them and the holy spirit is kind of the same thing and we don't know what exactly the holy spirit is and is it a he is it an it does it transcend these things and uh his role. So I, I think the best advice for the Holy Spirit is we don't get bogged down. We know the Holy Spirit exists. We know the Holy Spirit has a role with us. But to get into debates about, you know, are there three in the Godhead or is it just two or not? Like At the end of the day, does that make a difference for us? Does it really matter? Is that something that we can wait till we're in heaven to really get all the facts and have eternity to wrap our head around it? So Tina, what's your thought? I think, you know, I've, I've had, um, I've been at a church where um, we had somebody come in and try to tear down the Trinitarian doctrine, basically, you know, that in my church, we do uphold. Um, I do believe that there is a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and, you know, I think there is a lot of evidence showing that there is definitely, you know, a Godhead and the Bible never uses the word Trinity. So we can't say there is a, you know, we can't say that's a biblical term, but I think the idea of there being a Father, Son, Holy Spirit is still very biblical, and all of them being, you know, divine in and of themselves, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, but, you know, there are things that, you know, aren't super duper clear as far as, you know, who is the Holy Spirit, um, and there's been, you know, a lot of debate on that. Um, but I think, yeah, like you're saying, when it comes to Jesus and some people trying to say, oh, no, there's only one God, which is the Father, and then Jesus and the Holy Spirit are just, no, 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 they are, <laughs> Jesus is God. And so we definitely need to um, be sure that we are, you know, in our, in our teachings, teaching the truth of Jesus as our, as our God, our creator, our redeemer, and not, um, you know, giving into any other seducing doctrines or, you know, that sort of a thing. And when it comes to the Holy Spirit, though, I would say, you know, you really have to be careful because he who sins against Jesus, you know, um, it, his sins will be forgiven, but he who sins against the Holy Spirit, like that's a very serious crime. Like God says, you know, the 
uh, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. And I don't believe that means that if you say, oh, there's no Holy Spirit, God will never forgive you. I think it means that you, if you, you know, turn away from the work of the Holy Spirit and you never mm -hmm. come to repentance, that's truly um, the full, you know, blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. But I still think you have to be very, very careful that you don't um, disregard his ministry and who he is as as far as, you know, being God, because Jesus says, you know, I will send him and he will speak of me whatsoever things I shall say or and I want to teach you. And and so I really think you have to be careful not to disregard um, any member of the Godhead, whether it be Father, Son or Holy Spirit. Um, and when it comes to, you know, you know, some people asking questions, there are things we just don't know, like you're saying. And I would just say, you know, Deuteron Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, you know, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever and ever that we may do all the words of this law. So, you know, when it comes to, you know, the Holy Spirit or, you know, um, you know, his nature, things like that. We don't understand everything about God, <laughs> period, Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. We don't know everything about God. Um, and so, yeah, we that's a mystery. We can just wait till heaven. Um, and we don't need to fight about those things. But at the same time, we do need to um, not just throw away, you know, what the Bible does say about our God and that he is divine. And he is, you know, it says, you know, who shall go for us and we shall make man in our image. There's definitely, you know, more than one, like you're saying, God is plural in a sense that there is, there appears to be more than one member. And so, I don't know. Um, I, I think the biggest thing is to focus on the Bible um, as far as how do we deal with the anti-Trinity movement, focus on what does the Bible say and only what the Bible says and anything else, like you're kind of saying, you know, wait till we get to heaven and, you know, give it to God then. But, um, you know, First John 5 is pretty clear. You know, there are three Three that testify in heaven. And, you know, Jesus says in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't think he would put the Holy Spirit with the Father and the Son if they weren't in that same group. I, the anti-Trinitarian argument there is, oh, that verse got corrupted at some point. Someone inserted the Spirit there. Again, I'm... I'm, I'm but then, I mean, but then at one no point, idea. do you say like, oh, this is corrupted? <laughs> and You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the danger of that argument is then okay well what about this and this and this and now it's like okay do, do we throw out the whole book now <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so i'm like eh, to the launch of the testimony they speak not according to this word the bible and, yeah and they try to make it like almost like so, some like some catholic conspiracy somehow to lead us astray by canonizing or elevating the spirit to god it's again like i don't understand why that would be evil or you know, or or why, if it that actually is true, that it's not the case, why that would be a problem. I don't understand why either way is a problem. We know, yeah, there is a Holy Spirit. We know Holy Spirit communicates for God to us. If the Holy Spirit is God or not God, or or, or separate entity or not entity, like does that? I know it just. I think it, we're trying to put it in a box that we have no idea what what the holy spirit really sure. is yeah but i think too like just kind of the answer of this question how do you deal with it kind of the answer that wendy said earlier is just focus on christ and focus on his love and his character and focus on his word and you know not trying to you know 
just, you know, start a fight and be, you know, be like, oh, if you don't agree with me, that means you're terrible. You know, we don't have that spirit. We have the spirit of love and the spirit of Jesus. And it's like, well, you know, let's come together. Let's look at God's word together in a spirit of unity and love and kindness. And I think that's really the greatest way and the the best way to battle anything is not in words or in actions, it's, it's on your knees. <laughs> mm-hmm. So keeping those people in prayer constantly because prayer is really our greatest, one of our greatest weapons and we cannot expect to find any success apart from God's spirit that we pray for moving on the hearts of other people. Amen. Yeah, and I think key here is also just thinking about like, why is this important to them, to whoever's pushing this? Why, why are they on this agenda, stuck on this agenda, and why is this so important to them? Searching out that answer and helping, you know, encouraging each other to come to the fullness of Christ in character and to focus on that, redirecting, I think that is the the key here because maybe maybe it's important to them because they feel like they were deceived by somebody somewhere along the way and they don't know what the truth is. Well, lead them to the truth. Like maybe it's because who knows? Like I, different people have different people that I've heard who have this, who push this agenda. They, they all seem to have their own reason for pushing it. So I don't, I don't know that there's a way that you can, that it can be generalized to everybody. I think you know, it has to just be addressed individually to why is this so important to them? What's going on? What is the meaning that they are ascribing to it? And how can we be a conduit of Christ Mm -hmm. in the life of anybody who is hung up on whatever other agenda is out there? That's what, that's how I think the the simple question solution is yeah it's always good to ask why do they care so much about that Mm -hmm. and start asking questions and then you might find there's something deeper really that's at issue yeah Mm -hmm. yeah exactly yeah and i mean and it could be something you know genuinely good and sometimes you realize oh they're just trying to you know come up with a new light or you know something and you know it's like okay well and they want to cause division and it's like okay well then we need to address that in a different way so mm-hmm. you're definitely right in that we need to treat each person individually because we don't know where their heart's at. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Shall we get the next question up? Let's do it. So Robert is asking, is forgiving someone a sign that I am saved by the grace of God? Well, Robert, that is a fantastic question. And I would say that it's definitely a good sign if you forgive somebody um, that you are saved by grace. Now, um, you know, Jesus, when he talks about forgiveness, it's actually so important to him that he puts it in the Lord's prayer. And this is kind of be be the base of my answer to you, which is found in Matthew chapter six. And um, in verse 12, you know, after Jesus begins, you know, the Lord's prayer, you know, he's saying, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he gets down to verse 12 and he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, Jesus makes it very clear that it's important, you know, for God's people to forgive as well as, you know, in the process of being forgiven by God, because he goes down in verse 14, it says, for if you forgive 
other people, um, when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so forgiveness is a very, 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 very <laughs> important part of the process of salvation. And it's definitely a fruit of, you know, God's working in your heart. So I would definitely say, yes, it is a sign that you are saved by grace. Now, just really quick, because you brought up, you know, being saved by grace, how are you saved by grace? Um, it's not by your forgiveness, though. I would say it's more, you know, like it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith meaning you believe in God, you believe in his word. And this is not from yourself, but is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. So just, I bring that up just to say, you know, let's say, you know, you've forgiven somebody um, and which is perfect. That, that is in harmony. Absolutely. With, you know, that's a fruit of somebody who's definitely, um, been saved by God's grace. That's definitely a fruit of it is you being, is you forgiving somebody. However, sorry. Um, however, if you begin to say, well, because I forgave, like I now am owed, you know, forgiveness and I'm owed salvation. Don't think that for one second because it's a gift of God. Um, so even, you know, the fact that you have the, that in your heart to forgive, that's God putting love in your heart for the other person. And so it's just a continual dependence and, um, you know, trusting in God's word by faith that you have received the ability to forgive somebody because honestly, Forgiveness is one of those things that's it's not natural to us. It's something that um, God d changes in our hearts based on his love and his mercy. So I would just uh, put that out there really quick. And, um, you know, just one last thing. And as far as, you know, who God is and his nature, um, because we're trying to be like Christ, we want to reflect his image, not because, like I said, not because we're trying to earn our salvation by any means at all, but rather you know, when we come to know God, um, you can't help but reflect who he is. And I, I think of Second um, Corinthians 4 that says, you know, for we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And for God who, um, for God who um, created the light has shined out of darknesses and has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then, you know, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so, you know, when we have Christ in our hearts, you know, his character, his love is going to be reflected. And so we're going to give that light, that truth of who God is in our own lives, in every situation that occurs you know, to us. And so the opportunity to forgive is a golden opportunity to reflect God's character to the world. And, you know, God's character is, as we see in the book of first John, you know, first John four, eight says, God is love for he who does not know love does not know God for God is love. That's literally what God is, who God is. And first John one, nine says, if we confess our sins, he, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if Jesus, if we're reflecting Jesus in us, we are going to have that same spirit of forgiveness that God has, which is that he will always forgive as long as somebody confesses to them. And we in turn need to reflect that character of Christ in, um, 
in loving forgiveness to other people. And that might be the hardest thing for us to do sometimes, but it is the most powerful thing. Um, you know, it's much more powerful than anything in this world because it's something that only it's a, you know, it's a miracle of the heart. And uh, just really quick before I close my answer, I can't help but think of this really beautiful story. Um, if you've ever read this, uh, the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, she was a Christian and um, she, during World War II in, in, um, in Europe, and she was hiding Jews in her home and she was captured. She was caught and they were threw her in a prison camp, her and her sister. And um, her and her sister suffered terrible, many terrible things, but they did not give up their faith in Jesus throughout, you know, this horrific experience. And, you know, just before she was liberated, her sister actually died in the concentration camp. And, oh, sorry, I get emotional. <laughs> and um, after, you know, um, the war was over, one of the guards who had been so brutal and so abusive to her and her sister um, approached her, met with her because she was teaching about forgiveness and she forgave that man. She forgave this guard and it just, it changed him so much as a person. And I mean, what else could reach a Nazi prison guard other than the love of Jesus in forgiving what he'd done? And so I would say, yes, um, you forgiving somebody is definitely a sign that Christ is living in your heart, that you've definitely been saved by grace. Um, but just make sure that you always point your forgiveness and your love to other people, not because you're something wonderful, but because you have a God who is living in you who can do supernatural and amazing things. So that would be my answer to that. Uh, Jay or Wendy, anything else? Yeah, I guess just my super short tooth sense would be forgiveness is a necessary but not sufficient condition for salvation. And so that's, these are logic terms. So something is necessary means you have to have that or else you won't have this other thing. You know, it's like, it's necessary to have gas in your car for it to run. Uh, but is having your gas in the car, the only thing necessary for your car to work right. So it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. Mm -hmm. So same thing. You like, you yes. need the oil, you need mm -hmm. all the brakes, you need all this stuff. So it's same thing. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is necessary, but it's not going to be sufficient for salvation. So it's a sign. It's a sign that someone might be on the track. If you're not seeing any forgiveness, you might that might be a good clue mm -hmm. that their their salvation is a little shaky. They, you know, they might not really know the heart of God truly. Mm -hmm. But but if you're seeing mm -hmm. that forgiveness, then yeah, that it's an indicator that yeah, they might be on the right track. And God is working on their heart. Amen to that. I see a hello. Yes. From so I'm looking in the comments. Wendy, do you see that? Yes. yes. Do you want to take a shot at pronouncing? Yeah. That's better yeah. than I could probably do. <laughs> so we're thinking it might be Spanish, but and you would do a better job pronouncing it than us. So oh, hello, welcome to Johnny. <laughs> Yes, thank you for joining us. We're so glad you're here and you um uh we're just glad you've all joined us. And I'm just sad because we're at the end of our show. And so uh just if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you and just let you know this is a live show. So we do um like to answer questions live on the show. Or if you have a question that you'd like formally um featured on our weekly show, uh be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live, and we would love to um 
get your question and give it um, the proper answer it deserves um, here on our, our live show. And actually, speaking of which, if I could just say one quick thing, because I know we have like a few extra minutes. Our first question of this evening, I apologize, I got um, blindsided by it because um, of a technical issue, which I apologize for, uh, by our friend Roland, who was asking about the significance of the head and body movements by Jews when praying at the remaining wall of the ancient Roman fortress. So I actually looked that up because I was curious about it too. I know, Jay, you shared about it. Um, but what somebody was saying, or what I read also, is that um, some people theorize that since Torah scholars would actually spend all day learning in one place, it would they would pray back and forth to get um, some minimal exercise um, at the same time, maybe to keep mm. you know their body from you know getting um, what's that called when your foot falls asleep or your hands fall asleep, yeah. that kind of a thing. So it was kind of a means of you know just um, when they prayed and they would rock just to kind of keep their body moving a little bit um, and that sort of thing. So I apologize I, like I didn't have that answer for you, Roland, earlier, but. Um, I, I did want to mention that. I know Jay also addressed it as well, and he probably gave a better answer than I, I did. But I didn't know why didn't they prayed that way. Well. I knew why they prayed there, um, but I didn't know why they prayed that way. Yeah. But again, we uh, and if, if anybody has any thoughts or questions on that too, be sure to send those our way. We love hearing from your audience and, and hearing from you and, and your thoughts and ideas as well. And I see uh, before we go to Francine, Hello, good to have Hello, you with us again. We're so glad you joined us. Yes. And uh, well, we do again. have an important announcement about next week, right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. So before we close tonight, we do want to let everybody know that next week we will actually be taking a break. So we won't be doing a live show. Um, it is uh, going to be our vacation weekend for the summer. <laughs> so we will be out of town. So I apologize for that. But we do want to just um, let you guys know we will be playing a, a former episode. So you will have something to, you know, get some some bread in, some spiritual bread for the week. And um, we will continue again the week after. So in um, two weeks from now, we'll see you again live. And we'll hopefully get to get some really great, great questions in by then. So again, if you have questions, go to bibleask.org forward slash live, and we will be uh, featuring your question on our show. And if you liked your liked what you've heard so far, be sure to like and share our content. It helps us out in sharing the gospel and getting God's word out to more people. And before we close, though, tonight, uh, Jay or Wendy, you want to say a word of prayer? Sure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for each and every person who tuned in and joined us and pray special blessing upon each of them. Be with everybody this weekend to uh, help us find rest, to draw closer to you and have your word to settle in our hearts and fill us with the fullness of your spirit. And pray also you be with everybody who catches the replay and later videos that we all may come into your truth, Lord, and into one accord that we may hasten the day of your coming. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And again, we hope to see you live in two weeks. But again, <laughs> we'll still have a show next week to replay for, for next Friday. Have a great uh, 4th of July and Independence Day. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.